You're listening to a sermon from the Langley Canadian Reformed Church. We hope you'll find it to be spiritually edifying. The scripture reading this afternoon is, first of all, Romans 4, verses 1 through 12. What then shall we say that Abraham, our forefather, discovered in this matter? If, in fact, Abraham was justified by works, he had something to boast about, but not before God. What does the Scripture say? Abraham believed God, and it was credited to him as righteousness. Now, when a man works, his wages are not credited to him as a gift, but as an obligation. However, to the man who does not work, but trusts in God, who justifies the wicked, his faith is credited as righteousness. David says the same thing when he speaks of the blessedness of the man to whom God credits righteousness apart from works. Blessed are they whose transgressions are forgiven, whose sins are covered. Blessed is the man whose sin the Lord will never count against him. Is this blessedness only for the circumcised or also for the uncircumcised? We have been saying that Abraham's faith was credited to him as righteousness. Under what circumstances was it credited? Was it after he was circumcised or before? It was not after, but before. And he received the sign of circumcision, a seal of the righteousness that he had by faith, while he was still uncircumcised. So then, he is the father of all who believed, but have not been circumcised, in order that righteousness might be credited to them. And He is also the Father of the circumcised, who not only are circumcised, but who also walk in the footsteps of the faith that our father Abraham had before he was circumcised. And then let's turn also to 1 Corinthians chapter 2, verses 6 through 16. Here's where the Apostle Paul tells us where faith comes from. He says, we do, however, speak a message of wisdom among the mature, but not the wisdom of this age or of the rulers of this age who are coming to nothing. No, we speak of God's secret wisdom, a wisdom that has been hidden and that God destined for our glory before time began. None of the rulers of this age understood it, for if they had, they would not have crucified the Lord of glory. However, as it is written, no eye has seen, no, no ear has heard, no mind has conceived what God has promised for those who love Him. But God has revealed it to us by His Spirit. The Spirit searches all things, even the deep things of God. For who among men knows the thoughts of a man except the man's spirit within him? In the same way, no one knows the thoughts of God except the Spirit of God. We have not received the spirit of the world, but the spirit who is from God, that we may understand what God has freely given us. This is what we speak, not in words taught us by human wisdom, but in words taught by the spirit, expressing spiritual truths in, in spiritual words. The man without the spirit does not accept the things that come from the spirit of God, for they are foolishness to him, and he cannot understand them because they are spiritually discerned. The spiritual man makes judgments about all things, but he himself is not subject to any man's judgment. 
For who has known the mind of the Lord that He may instruct Him? But we have the mind of Christ. And then lastly, Hebrews chapter 10, verses 1 through 18. Here we find our only ground for salvation. The law is only a shadow of the good things that are coming, not the realities themselves. For this reason, it can never, by the same sacrifice repeated endlessly year after year, make perfect those who draw near to worship. If it could, would they not have stopped being offered? For the worshipers would have been cleansed once for all and and would no longer have felt guilty for their sins. But those sacrifices are an annual reminder of sins because it is impossible for the blood of bulls and goats to take away sins. Therefore, when Christ came into the world, He said, Sacrifice and offering you did not desire, but a body you prepared for Me. With burnt offerings and sin offerings you were not pleased. Then I said, Here I am. It is written about Me in the scroll. I have come to do Your will, O God. First He said, Sacrifices and offerings, burnt offerings and sin offerings, you did not desire, nor were you pleased with them, although the law required them to be made. And then he said, here I am, I have come to do your will. He sets aside the first to establish the second. And by that will, we have been made holy through the sacrifice of the body of Jesus Christ once for all. Day after day, the priest stands and and performs his religious duties. Again and again, he offers the same sacrifices, which can never take away sins. But when this priest had offered for all time the one sacrifice for sins, he sat down at the right hand of God. Since that time, he waits for his enemies to be made his footstool, because by one sacrifice he has has made perfect forever those who are being made holy. The Holy Spirit also testifies to us about this. First, He says, This is the covenant I will make with them after that time, says the Lord. I will put My laws in their hearts, and I will write them on their minds. Then He adds, Their sins and lawless acts I will remember no more. And where these have been forgiven, there is no longer any sacrifice for sin. And the text this afternoon is God's Word as we have it summarized and as we confess it in the Heidelberg Catechism, Lord's Day 25. Since then, faith alone makes us share in Christ and all His benefits. Where does this faith come from? From the Holy Spirit who works it in our hearts by the preaching of the Gospel and strengthens it by the use of the sacraments. What are the sacraments? The sacraments are holy, visible signs and seals. They were instituted by God so that by their use, He might the more fully declare and seal to us the promise of the Gospel. And this is the promise that God graciously grants us forgiveness of sins and everlasting life because of the one sacrifice of Christ accomplished on the cross. Are both the Word and the sacraments then intended to focus our faith on the sacrifice of Jesus Christ on the cross as the only ground of our salvation? Yes, indeed. The Holy Spirit teaches us in the Gospel and assures us by the sacraments that our entire salvation rests 
on Christ's one sacrifice for us on the cross. How many sacraments has Christ instituted in the new covenant? Two. Holy baptism and the Holy Supper. Congregation of our Lord Jesus Christ. Lord's Day 25 begins a a bit of a new section in the catechism. The section before it outlines for us what faith is and the necessity of faith. And so the catechism has just explained to us that you need faith. It's only by faith that God will accept you as His own children. It's only by faith that you can receive the the promises found in the Gospel. It's only by faith that you can receive, as the Apostle Peter put it in, in his letter, this new birth into this living hope. So you need faith. Yet when you bring the Gospel to curious inquirers, you might ask yourself the question found in Lord's Day 25, or you might even be so inclined to ask God the question in Lord's Day 25. Look, you gave your neighbor a Bible. You explained it to him. You had a coffee with him. You sat with him. He asked you hard questions. You answered them. You had a meaningful, positive conversation with him about the Gospel, what the Gospel means for you in your life, what the Gospel should mean to him in his life. And after all of that, he sits back and politely says, I'm sorry, this isn't for me. It's just not for me. And inside you want to scream at him. How can you say that? These words, they cut me to the heart. They sometimes bring tears to my eyes. Yet you can just brush them aside and say, not for me. How can you say that? How can you reject these words? So you know that your neighbor needs faith. But you want to know, where will he get it from? Where does faith come from? And then again, you might have times in your own life when you wonder the same question about your own faith. Why do the words of the Bible sometimes mean so much to me and other times not? How can I spend whole weeks, whole months, even whole years where the words of the Gospel have virtually no impact on my life? How did that happen? How can it be that I sometimes find myself so full of doubt So full of fear that I wonder whether I really do have this new birth, this living hope. And so you also know that you need faith, but you want to know where does my faith come from? Where does faith come from? And that's the question asked by Lord's Day 25. It's the question that's also answered by Lord's Day 25. And so the theme of the sermon this afternoon, faith comes from the Holy Spirit. 
We'll see firstly that the Holy Spirit uses the Word and the sacraments. Secondly, that the Holy Spirit points us all to the one sacrifice of Jesus Christ on the cross. So first, Word and sacraments. When we read through Acts, we read about Paul, the Apostle Paul. He comes to Philippi with his companions. And when they, they came to Philippi, they did what they always do. They looked for a synagogue. They tried to find Jewish worshipers in the synagogue so that they could present the gospel to them first. And then after they, if they would reject it, also present it to the Gentiles. That was Paul's um, pattern in his missionary activity. Except when he came to Philippi, there was no synagogue because there weren't enough people to form a synagogue. And so instead of going to a synagogue, he goes outside of the city to the river where there's a group of women praying. Among these women was found Lydia, whom we know now is a dealer in purple cloth. She's not originally from Philippi, but she lives there now. And then Luke reports that while while Paul was preaching the gospel to these women by the river, the Lord, Luke says, the Lord opened Lydia's heart so that she responded to the gospel. And afterwards, she's baptized because she says to the apostles, if you accept me as a believer of the Lord, come into my home and stay with me. And they do that because they've acknowledged that she is a believer in the Lord. And so we ask ourselves with Lord's Day 25, where did Lydia's faith come from? How did she get faith? What was different about her from the other women that were sitting there? She receives the gospel. They do not. Why? Well, Paul explains the answer to that question in in his letter to the Corinthians. And that's why we we read 1 Corinthians 2 together. Because that's where, where Paul teaches us where Lydia's faith comes from, where anyone's faith comes from. What has to happen in order for a person to receive the gospel. He says that the leaders of the Jews and the Gentiles did not have faith. They did not understand or discern the gospel about Jesus. He says if they had, they would not have crucified the Lord. But because they didn't get the gospel, they didn't understand it, they crucified Jesus. But then he says to the Christians in Corinth, you do, you can discern the gospel. You do know who Jesus is. You do know why he came because of your faith or because of the Holy Spirit. How did they come to understand that Jesus was the Messiah? was because the Spirit, Paul says, the Spirit taught them. The Spirit teaches you what God is giving you. And that's how Lydia received the Gospel too. The Holy Spirit used Paul's preaching to open Lydia's heart so that she would receive the Gospel. And that's why Lord's Day 25 says that the Holy Spirit works faith in our hearts. And he does it by the preaching of the gospel. In Romans 10, Paul impresses the importance of preaching. 
He writes about why he preaches to the Gentiles in Romans. He asks these questions. How can they hear without someone preaching to them? And how can they preach unless they are sent? And then he says, consequently, faith comes from hearing the gospel, from hearing the message. And the message is heard through the word of Christ. And Paul goes on to say, many uh, Israelites heard the word of faith. They heard about the gospel message about Christ. They heard about what God was doing to save them, but they rejected it. Yet many Gentiles heard the gospel and they received it in faith. Paul says, that's why I preach to the Gentiles. Because God is using my preaching, Paul said, to save them. No wonder Paul wants the gospel preached. No wonder. No wonder he, he presses Timothy to preach the gospel in season and out of season, whenever he can, preach the gospel. No wonder. Preaching is the, the center of this worship service today. No wonder preaching has become the center of all of our worship services every Sunday. It's because the Holy Spirit has told us He uses preaching to produce faith in your hearts. And no wonder Bible study is so important in your daily life. No wonder reading the Bible, the Gospel with your family is so important. Your personal devotions, your Bible studies are so important. The Holy Spirit uses the Word of God to produce faith in your heart. You've got to use the means that the Holy Spirit has told you that He's going to use on you. Of course, Lord's Day 25 isn't really about the Word of God. It's not really the doctrine of the Word found in Lord's Day 25. It's the doctrine of the sacraments. That's what we're really interested in in Lord's Day 25. Except those who wrote Lord's Day 25 want us to get this straight before we move on and talk about the sacraments anymore. The sacraments never work by themselves. That's what we've got to We've got to figure out before we continue. The sacraments never work alone. They need the Word of God. The Holy Spirit does not use sacraments, baptism and Lord's Supper, to create faith in your heart, to produce faith. The Holy Spirit uses the sacraments to strengthen your faith. Faith that He already gave you through the Gospel message. And so it's true that an unbeliever can come to church, and I hope he does, and benefit from the preaching of the Gospel and benefit from the worship service. The Holy Spirit has said to us that He may use that to produce faith in the hearts of people who have never heard the Gospel before. But it's also true that an unbeliever cannot benefit from baptism, or from Lord's Supper. Because those things only benefit you 
if you've already got faith. And so, the purpose of the sacraments is to strengthen our faith. The Catechism calls sacraments a visible uh, a visible sign of a sacred thing. Well, the, the Catechism calls it a sign and seal. And what's meant by that, or what's... Uh, um, the definition that we've often been given of a sacrament is a visible sign of a sacred thing. And so you see that a sacrament can't stand by itself because its purpose is to point to something else, to some other thing. Well, the obvious question is, of course, what is that thing? What does, what do the sacraments point to? And Lord's Day 25 expands on the definition that we have. It says it's an outward seal or an outward sign that seals God's promise. We can compare, we can compare the, the Holy Spirit's purpose in the sacraments to a road sign. Just to understand what they, what it means to be a sign and a seal. For example, the road to Tofino is a long and winding road. If I do explain to you how to get to Tofino, it might seem easy enough at first. I would simply tell you to take the ferry to Nanaimo, that you would have to take Highway 19 until you get to Highway 4, and that highway would take you all the way to the other side of the island, and it's pretty easy from there. And that sounds easy enough, except that Highway 4 twists and turns around lakes and mountains. It goes through mountain passes. And you'd better not mix the, miss the, the junction. That's the warning on every uh, uh, directions that you're, you'll ever get. Don't miss that junction or else you're going to find yourself on an, another road and you won't make it. At some points on Highway 4, the, the cliff on the, the left side sticks out so far, it's almost overlapping and jutting out into the, the road itself. You feel as if you've got to move over. And then on the right side, there's a, a steep cliff. You feel like you're on a logging road and you wonder, am I really still on the highway? It feels like you've gotten off the highway and, and you're on some other logging road or something. So you've got your directions, but you're not sure about them anymore. But then you see a sign up ahead. The sign is in the shape of a shield. In the middle is the number, is a blue number four, and it says BC underneath. And above the four, there's a picture of the provincial flag of British Columbia. Well, when you see that sign, you know for sure, yes, I'm on the highway, because that is an official provincial sign complete with its official seal confirming for me yes this is highway four i'm going the right way i've got to stay on this road and that's what we mean by calling the sacraments visible signs and seals and that's how the apostle paul explains uh, the purpose of a sacrament in romans 4 He writes in in verse 11 about Abraham. He says, And he received the sign of circumcision, 
a seal of the righteousness he had by faith. And so that's where those two words come from in our catechism. Sign and seal. That's how Paul talks about circumcision. And then Paul explains that circumcision didn't have any power uh, to justify Abraham itself, but that the, the purpose of circumcision was to point Abraham beyond the beyond itself to the promise that God made him. And so now when Abraham is wondering, am I a child of God? Are my children safe? He knows from his circumcision that God has promised him, yes, you are my child. Your children belong to me too. God's promise is true. And so God uses circumcision to strengthen Abraham's faith. And that's why it's so important to participate in the sacraments. Because we do have God's Word, true and sure, we do. The problem isn't with God's Word. God's Word is steadfast. The problem is us. We are weak. We are even ignorant often. So sometimes we wonder, yeah, God said that stuff to me. But is it true? Can I believe it? How can I believe it? How do I know that this new life is for me? Am I really forgiven? Am I really a child of God? Does He really care for me? The sacraments are, are tools in, in the hands of the Holy Spirit. That comforter. That counselor. That comforting teacher to confirm for us what He's been telling us all along. The words I told you in the Gospel are true and sure for you. So that's why we we participate in the Lord's Supper. That's why we have our children baptized or why we also are baptized. Not because we want to make a declaration ourselves about who we are, And not because we want to show other people something about ourselves, but because God has something to say to us. The Holy Spirit is saying yes to all our doubts. Yes, you are my child. Yes, you are really forgiven. So important because the Holy Spirit uses the sacraments to strengthen and confirm our faith. Well, Lord's Day 25 is quite adamant throughout on the connection between word and sacrament, the sign and the thing, we say. The sign and the thing. Where the sign is the sacrament, the thing is that which the sacrament points to. It became an important terminology during the Reformation because the church at that time had forgotten about it. They forgot all about the purpose of the sacrament. The Roman Catholic Church at that time, and really still does, treat the sacraments as if they have justifying power in themselves. That means they believed that you could make yourself right with God simply by taking the bread and the wine or simply by being baptized. And so they forgot the sacred thing that the sacrament points to the promise of God. The promise of God. 
their doctrine of the sacraments teaches you that you don't actually need to believe the promises of God, accept them with faith in order to receive forgiveness and righteousness. And that there is actually a righteousness apart from faith. That's the effect of that doctrine. If the, if the sacraments justify you, you can be justified apart from faith. There's another ground for your salvation besides faith in Jesus Christ. If you fall into that danger, you'll begin to think that you're saved just because you're baptized or just because you participate in Lord's Supper. And then you'll begin to think that you don't need faith. You don't need to trust in the promises of God. You don't need to seek forgiveness. You don't need to find your life in Christ. That's the effect of such a teaching. If you don't look to what the Holy Spirit is pointing to with the sacraments, you'll miss the point. And the sacraments will become worthless to you. They'll become dead objects with no purpose. No, you need to look up from the water. Look up from the bread and the wine and see what the Holy Spirit is showing you. And that's why the Reformers were so adamant about Word and sacrament together. The sacrament does what the Word does. They work together. They're doing the same thing. The sacraments are appended to the Word, confirming the Word. So the Lord, and so Lord's Day 25 says that the Holy Spirit uses the Word of God and the sacraments both to confirm our faith. Both of them are, have the same purpose. They belong together. Both look, both tell you to look in faith to the one sacrifice of Jesus Christ on the cross as the only ground of your salvation. Both of them do that. We have this phrase, the one sacrifice of Christ, because the, the catechism is quoting from Hebrews, uh, the New Testament letter to the Hebrews, where that term is very important because the author of Hebrews wants to prove to the Jews that faith in Jesus Christ is the only ground of salvation. And to convince the Jews that the Old Testament sacrifices are not a ground for salvation. Of course, that's a very difficult thing to prove to Jewish people because they had been taught all along from God that they had to uh, bring their sacrifices to the temple. It was a command from God. Well, the author of Hebrews does it. He accomplishes his task by showing them where the, the animal sacrifices belong in the history of redemption. And he shows them that those sacrifices are pointing to the once for all sacrifice of Jesus that's how he, he convinces. That's how he shows us the point of the Old Testament sacrifices. And so Hebrews begins by showing the Jews that you can tell that the sacrifice of bulls and, and goats don't actually save because they had to be done over and over again. And it's a simple logic. If that sacrifice of bulls and goats actually saved you or was a ground for your salvation, why did you have to bring another sacrifice again? Why do you have to keep bringing sacrifices again and again? If the sacrifice really did satisfy God, you would be finished after the first one you offered, but you're not. 
And not only that, the author of Hebrews says, the priest who offered the sacrifices was himself a sinner. Not only did he offer sacrifice for you, but for himself too. So how can he be the one that will, will help you um, receive, be received into God's favor if he is himself a sinner? And so Hebrews shows us that the whole Old Testament business is really steeped in sin and cannot be the ground of our salvation. And then Hebrews 7, Hebrews 7 gives us what is really and truly the ground of our salvation. Hebrews 7 says, such a high priest meets our need. So not the sinful high priest in the Old Testament. This is the one that meets our need. One who is holy, blameless, pure, set apart from sinners, exalted above the heavens. He sacrificed, that is, Jesus sacrificed for their sins once for all when He offered Himself. Therefore, Jesus became the guarantee of a better covenant. The guarantee of a better covenant. And then Hebrews continues by explaining how Jesus presented Himself to God in order to present us in order to cleanse us and make us free from sins so that we may now begin to live and serve God. And that's the result. The result of the one sacrifice is found in Hebrews 10. You can see the the argument coming to its, its conclusion, its climax. We have all been made holy, Hebrews says, through the sacrifice of the body of Jesus Christ once for all. This is the ground, Hebrews says, of our salvation. The only ground of our salvation. Only Jesus can make you forgiven. Only Jesus can make you holy. Only Jesus can make you pure. He's the only ground. This is the objection. This is the argument that the Apostle Paul had to deal with time and time again when he presented the Gospel to Jewish Christians, when he presented the Gospel to Gentile Christians who were being influenced by Jewish Christians. Time and time again, Jewish Christians had a hard time with this. Yes, they said, we need Jesus. But Jesus is of no uh, effect on you, has no power to save you unless you're circumcised too, unless you're a Jew. And Paul says, no, you're presenting two grounds for salvation and that's not true. That's not the Gospel. Quit telling Gentiles that they need to be circumcised. And he meets that criticism in, in Romans as well. Romans uh, 4 and 5, for example. He asks the Jewish Christians very simply, how good are you at keeping God's law? How good are you at at being faithful to the old covenant? Not very, I can tell. So he asks them the question, if you can't keep the law, what makes you think that it can possibly be a ground for your salvation? The opposite is true. It proves that you deserve condemnation. And so quit appealing to the Old Testament law as the ground of your salvation. It's impossible. It cannot be the ground of your salvation. No, only God's grace in Christ 
can possibly be the ground of your salvation. But then he hears this objection again and again. If that's true, if what you're saying is true, let's just keep breaking the law and we'll get more grace and salvation will come to us all the more, all the easier. But then Paul appeals to baptism to make his point. And you see here the Holy Spirit showing us again how he uses baptism. You see, Paul says, that's impossible. Your objection doesn't happen. Because if you've been baptized into Christ, then you have entered into a new life. And in that life, God has made it possible for you to want to obey the law and to be able to obey the law. In the Old Covenant, even if you wanted to keep the law, you couldn't. You didn't have the power. In the New Covenant, when you are baptized into Christ, you have the power to begin obeying. You have the power to begin doing something that was impossible for you in the Old Covenant. And so the objection was found false. It's not true that we should keep sinning that grace may abound. Paul says that when you are baptized, you are so far removed from sin that you become dead to sin. You die to sin. And that makes you free from sin. And that's why God's grace in Christ is the only ground for your salvation. It's the only way that you can possibly live for God. It's the only way that you can possibly die to your sins and live for righteousness. And so we so often are busy looking inwardly at ourselves, our own abilities, our own, our own hearts. And when you do that, you, you come to the conclusion, usually, I'm a sinner. I'm sinful. I'm weak. I'm lost. How can I be sure that God wants to forgive me? But the Holy Spirit uses the Word to teach you that, God's pro- that God promises you life, not because of what you do, but because of what Christ did. And He confirms it with the sacraments when He tells you, look up, look at Christ, look what He did for you on the cross. That's where you find your your hope and your joy. In Christ, you're forgiven. In Christ, you're free. And so we can go back to our our attempt to evangelize to the the unwilling neighbor. Where does his faith come from? Your neighbor needs the Holy Spirit. He can read the Bible all day. But if the Holy Spirit isn't reading along with him, isn't putting those words on his heart, He will not believe it. It will not have an impact on his life. He needs the Holy Spirit to teach him and to convict him. Of course, the the reverse side of this doctrine is that when you read the Bible and you're cut to the heart and you're brought to tears and you believe it and it impacts your life, you know for yourself, God is with me. God is at work in my heart right now. 
the Holy Spirit is reading the Bible with me right now. The Holy Spirit is teaching me right now. What a comfort that when you read the Bible as a believer, God is with you and you can feel His power in your life. Sometimes that doesn't happen, we know. And sometimes you're in no position even to evangelize. No shape to evangelize. Because you're not really actually all that convinced about the Gospel yourself. Your faith weakens to the point of despair. Well, the Bible teaches us actually that your struggle is really quite normal. And if you were to read through the canons of Dort, this might sound strange to many of us who who read the canons as if they're a dry doctrinal treatise. But if you read through the canons of Dort, you would find them saying the same thing. That your struggle with faith is normal. And that even the authors of the, the canons uh, go through the same struggle, went through the same struggle. They They quoted some very... Uh, well-known examples of this struggle. They showed us David. King David, that, that apple of God's eye. That man after God's own heart struggled in his faith. The Apostle Peter, that pillar of the church in Jerusalem, struggled with his faith to the point that he wept bitterly. you know still that it's hard to accept. And it's hard to admit to others that your faith is weak sometimes. We don't want people to see that. We don't want people to know about our weaknesses. The Bible says that's normal. That happens to everyone. And God knows that you are going to struggle with your faith. God knows that you're going to have times of despair. He knows it happens. He knows it will happen to you. That's why He gave the sacraments. That's the reason. The Holy Spirit uses both the Word and the sacraments to teach us and to convict us and confirm us. To focus our faith on its source and on its strength, not yourself. He confronts us with the powerful confession that the only ground of my salvation is Christ's sacrifice on the cross. What comfort in times of of doubt. What a source of strength for your Christian life. And so lift your hearts on high to where Christ is. Lift your hearts up to Christ. And praise the Holy Spirit, your wise and loving teacher. Amen. This has been a sermon from the Langley Canadian Reformed Church. For more information, please visit us on the web at www.langleycanrc.org.